you will, open your Bibles to the first book and the first chapter of our Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 26 of chapter 1. Uh, We'll be reading 26, 27, 28, and then we'll move over to chapter 2 and read beginning in verse 15 uh, until the end of that chapter. So beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. As we sang this morning, what I would categorize and describe as gospel songs. That is, how is it that we are saved? How is it that we're made righteous? How is it that we can live a life to please God? It is through the accomplishment of Christ at the cross. It's by stripes. It's through His blood. And so there's an intrinsic relationship between what I want us to consider this morning and, and really in, in kind of a honor, retrospective of Father's Day, that it is a gospel-informed and a gospel-empowered thing to be a, a godly or a biblical man. You can't do it on your own. Uh, you, the, your default setting is not to be a godly man, okay? It is to be a godless man, in fact. And so because of Christ, because of what we have proclaimed, what we have sung, His work at the cross, His burial, His ascension, and even His return, we have this hope of the recovery of that which is being indicted and assaulted within our very nation sometimes even within our very churches today, the undermining of the biblical concept of what it means to be a man who honors God and by extension to be a father who honors God, a husband who honors God, even a son or a daughter who honors God. And so what we see going on today, this attack on human sexuality is ultimately an attack upon God, His wisdom, his design, his gospel, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so how we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must seek to hold on to, 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 to recover, uh, to, to live out and to pass on what it means to honor God as a man in the very roles that uh, a man is charged by God himself. Uh, to fulfill. And so let's look this morning, I could call it gospel-informed manhood or biblical manhood. Let me just say it this way, satisfying, fulfilling, happy, and joyful manhood. Because the only way that the male of the species, the male in the human race, shall ever know the peace of God by living according to God's design and according to His purpose. And the converse or the complementary truth is true for you ladies. That's the only way you will ever know peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment. It's simply by what? Living according to God's design. So let's look at this this morning. Again, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God informed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth. Uh, God, it informs us as to what your purpose, your will is. So many times we get to speaking of, well, what is God's will for my life? And Lord, it is plain to us. It's simple. Uh, it is revealed to us in your word. Lord, let us be obedient to your truth. May your spirit apply. May your spirit empower us to live according to your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have often, uh, in the course of our study, our series on the home, returned to the book of Genesis. Uh, I am a lover of the book of Genesis. During my time at Beeson Divinity School, I was privileged to have as my Old Testament professor, uh, Dr. Ken Matthews. Uh, Dr. Matthews taught uh, what's called Hebrew exegesis, which meant that those little, all those little squiggly lines that you read from left to right on the page that make no sense whatsoever, he helps you to interpret them to understand uh, what the original text said and meant. Right to left. Okay, yeah, right to left. Backwards, backwards. Anyway, you read it backwards. Thank you. Um, it's been so long I've forgotten. But um, Dr. Matthews wrote what I think are two, the two finest commentaries I own, two volumes on Genesis in the New American Commentary Series. And just brilliant and great guy, gentle. And so he impressed upon me the significance, the, the foundational truths to be found in the book of Genesis. And, and so it is that, that if, if, if you're going to start somewhere, you need to start at the right place. If you're going to build something, you need to build on a solid foundation. And so there's no more solid foundation for humanity 
than these truths revealed by God to us, for us. Again, a, a term that Albert Moeller uses quite frequently is the term human flourishing. I think that's a great term. That God's design is for our well-being. God's wisdom is perfect. And that when we begin to think we know better, then what pride, what hubris is that to think that we have a better way of doing things than God does. And so let's look this morning uh, just very quickly in the text uh, just to make sure you get what's going on. Uh, God, on the sixth day, and that would be 120 hours entering into the 121st hour. I think if I'm doing my math right, what I'm getting at, I'm a young earth, literal six-day creationist, okay? You can go Google that one if that one goes over your head. But I believe the text tells us that God, who is eternal, determined to create that which was not eternal, to bring to be a creation uh, for the delight of the Trinity, which is co-equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so they chose, according to their own will, for no inner need within them. They were perfectly content to enjoy each other's glory forever. But they chose to create. And it, to place in the midst of his creation these beings that are called image bearers. That means that we have something unique that is distinct from every other thing in creation. Okay, Now, we are not divine, but we are stamped with the imprint of God. And we've talked a lot over the years, I'm not going to go back through it too much, about the imago Dei, the image and likeness of God, that God has given us some distinct things that set us apart from the animal kingdom. And he has assigned to us the, the right and the responsibility to rule over his creation, to represent him upon the earth, and then ultimately uh, to, to fill the earth with other image bearers. That it is a good thing, it's a part of God's design that we would flourish, flourish that we would uh, propagate, that we would multiply and fill uh, the earth. And he desires that we be fruitful, that we be blessed, and that we multiply over the face of of the earth over in verse 15 in chapter 2 now I think one of the there's a lot of great things that came out of the Protestant Reformation okay it's kind of like me saying this book is my favorite book of the Bible so you know it's one of those things that you know I've said that about what 65 of the 66 books or something like that certainly the five solos and justified by faith alone and oh, you know okay those are great things but the idea, the understanding that honest, productive work is a good thing, that it is a God-honoring thing for a man or a woman, for an image bearer to go out and be productive and to be successful, to be creative, to, 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 to earn money even. Those are good things. They are gifts from God. We're designed for that. And so even before the fall, and, and again, the language, work and keep, are brought forward later in, in the Bible in relationship to worship. So there is a sense to where folks get this. This is why work is a good thing. It's a good thing to get up Monday morning and go to work. It is, it is an act 
of worship. That you are honoring God and that you glorify God. And folks, you proclaim the gospel in your vocation. Even if your vocation is being retired. Glorify God in your retirement. Yeah. Glorify God in being a mother. Glorify God in being a a pawpaw or a mama or whatever. Hey, glorify God in that vocation. So God places man in the pristine garden and then passes on to him some responsibilities, some prohibitions. And then he says, you're not going to be able to do what I want you to do by yourself. Everything is good. But this one situation is not good, and I'm going to remedy it. And I'm going to remedy it in a way that's going to please you. I'm I'm going to fix this situation in a way that's going to bring glory to me, and it's going to propel you along the way to fulfilling the mandate that I gave to you. And so God creates another image bearer, a co-equal, one Something, some a little bit different, but very much like the man. To work together and to accomplish the mandate. Okay, so that's what we see going on here. And everything that the New Testament says about family and marriage is rooted right here. Chapters 1 and 2. And 3, I guess, too. That's why it's so hard. Chapter 3 is why it's so hard. Okay. Now, all right. So, when we think of biblical manhood, let's think first of all about that which is by design. God designed image bearers, male and female, okay, as spiritual beings. That all of us have immortal souls, okay? Again, sometimes in, in, in speaking of the gospel, we speak of eternal life. And again, be reminded, every image bearer has eternal life, Okay? The question is where eternity will be spent. Will it be in the presence of God's glory, reveling with Him forever, or will it be under eternal damnation, apart from His glorious presence? Okay? So, we're spiritual. We have an immortal soul. We have intellect and reason. We're not just, I get so ticked off. I'm working at it, folks. I'm working at it. I get so ticked off. With this, I just can't help it. These men that go out and father children, well, I'm just, you know, I just can't help myself to be in sexually involved with this woman and that woman and leaving children all over the place without fathers. We have intellect and reason. We understand cause and effect. Okay? Now, as I've told you many times, when I taught at Chattooga County High School, 1980 to 83, okay? I came to understand that there were some knotheads in public schools in Chattooga County, Georgia. I mean, not everybody turned out as sophisticated and, you know, everything as I am. There were some knotheads up there that I could threaten. Now, in those days, you could threaten kids. And, I mean, I threatened to kill them or stomp them or, you know, things like that. And, and so if you don't turn in your homework, I'm going to kill you. Okay, that kind of thing. And I mean, I, just, I would bust their backsides. And, uh, they, and, and then, so there's certain type of, because of the fall, they don't get it. 
And, and, and parents, you need to reinforce to your children this relationship between cause and effect, between action and reaction. Again, when they touch the hot stove, they're going to get burned. And when they transgress the boundaries that you set up, they need to know that there are repercussions for that. But So we have the ability to get this in the way the animal kingdom doesn't. We have a will, we have emotions, we have affections. They've all been affected dramatically by the entrance of sin into our world. We have a fallen will. Really, probably more accurately, I'm more Jonathan Edwards than Martin Luther here, but probably more an issue of nature than will. My, my will chooses fine. It works really, really well. I choose ice cream at 9 o'clock at night. You know, it, it's got a real sense of choosing. It chooses not to eat nasty mayonnaise. See, it works really well. Problem is in the nature. I have a nature that loves ice cream and a nature that hates mayonnaise. I have a nature many times that desires sin. And what does it do? It informs my will to choose that's what's displeasing to God. So all of these things, what I, what I like, what I'm drawn to, has been affected by the fall. God made us physical beings. Now, I'm glad I have Nate and Mache here. They're scientists, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Mache up here since you had, y'all had to take gross anatomy, right? Okay, all right. So they're going to come up here and talk to you about the differences between a man and a woman just in case you don't get it. I'm going to let you off the hook, okay? Shoulders up. <laughs> okay. But suffice it to say, now, you know, growing up in a carpenter's house, I knew a little bit about tools. And, I've, you know, how many of us have been out fixing something, and you got a pair of wire pliers, and you need a hammer? And how many of us have tried to hammer something in with a pair of wire pliers? Don't raise your hand, men. We've all been there. We've all done that, okay? It doesn't work very well because a set of wire pliers is not designed to drive a nail. God designed us physiologically, anatomically, biologically, and psychologically. And I don't have time to do what we did on Mother's Day. But there really is a difference, and I don't mean in terms of intellect. I am sure there are women here today whose IQs are far higher than mine, okay? That's a given. Joe, that was really unnecessary, okay? I don't mean to call you out now. I'm not just on, picking on the Rush family back there today, but, you know, that was, that was a little too strong an affirmation. But there are just differences in the way we think. Okay, and so that's just a part of the design. God designed us, again, according to his wise plan, and, 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 and it really ties in with what he has determined that we, how we should function with these compatible realities of male and female. So let's look at the second issue, that is why, what, which is by designation. God has designated we be co-regents, that, that at some level we're, we're equal. There's an, a quality of essence, but also there's a hierarchy. 
okay? And even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul refers to the order of creation because Adam was created first. There's a priority, there's a responsibility incumbent upon the man to establish leadership, to establish authority within the home. Amongst this reality of being co-regents over the world to populate the earth. And here's, here's the thing. God's plan is the this glorious creation. And I've told you before, I, I love to read not so much the science of the space program, although that's intriguing, okay? Like I say, science begins and ends with on and off for me. That's about it, okay? That's what I get. I don't understand how electrons and neutrons make all this stuff work. But I love the characters. I love the John Glenns and the Alan Shepherds. I'm reading a book by uh, Michael Collins right now. He, he, he flew the bus around the moon while Neil and Buzz went down and landed on it, okay? All right. And so it's really, really cool stuff. But to hear them sometimes, and many of them were non-believers. All of us remember that, that are baby boomers, Frank Borman reading Genesis 1 as they circled the moon from Apollo 8 on Christmas Eve. I remember hearing it on that AM radio, Brian. And so they describe the earth and its the, the fragile nature of it and the beauty of it and all of these things that they had as a you know, unique perspective from, from outer space. And so God has designed all of that that we would take this glorious orb set in the middle of this unfathomable expanse of created space that goes beyond anything we can even know right now. And, and he said that we should rule over it and we should populate it with other image bearers. And here's the thing. Here comes the fall. Here comes Genesis 3. And, and the thing is, the gospel tells us that God's plan to populate the earth with his image bearers will not be frustrated by Satan's temptation of man and man's succumbing to that temptation in the garden. That is, because of the gospel, the earth will one day be reclaimed and restored and perfected as a kingdom populated, not only those who have been created as image bearers, but redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that plan will be perfected. It will be. It's not a hope to. It's not a want to. And it's being, it's being completed because Jesus said what? I will build my church, which is the redeemed humanity that will make up the ultimate and final kingdom that shall, in all of its glory, rule and reign over the earth. And so, just to get ahead of myself, that's what family's all about. That's what family's all about is to create kingdom citizens preparing now to rule and reign with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's way ahead. All right. Co-regents populate the earth to be a steward of creation. We were ordained uh, for work, but in a fallen world, it's hard. Every young couple I ever counsel, every young person I ever counsel, it's hard to make a living. Let me tell you something. One of the real difficulties in life, it seems like expenses always rise to meet income. I don't know if you all have experienced that, but it seems like expenses always rise to meet income. 
let me be sure you get this. Turn over to chapter 3 for just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. Just right there toward the end of verse 17. I'm not going to read the whole verse. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now that, that is literally true. Go plant your tomato plants. See how easy that is. See how that works out for you. That's okay. Curses the ground. But metaphorically, it also is true in that it is difficult to live in a fallen world and keep food on the table and a roof over your head. And what happens is in our perversion and our sinfulness, okay, we become either workaholics or we become lazy, we become obsessed, we become power hungry and money hungry. All of these implications of the fall weigh in of us and they affect the family, they affect men. One of the, the tragic um, things, regrets that I have is my obsession with my work for about 15 years. Now, I'm thankful in God's grace that my children turned out as they did because I was the guy that came home at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, okay, too many nights, okay? Let me tell you something, men. It's good to work. And it's good to prosper. It's good to work a couple extra hours. It's good to work some Saturdays. I'm, that is not a problem. But I, a, a dear friend of mine told me this one time, and he's one of those guys that most of what he said you could completely disregard. And y'all know who he is. I called his name. But one of the, the wisest things he ever said to me is, is, your wife doesn't care what time you leave the house in the morning. She cares about what time you come home. And I think that's really true. So, find, prosper, succeed, find something you're good at, find something that, that fulfills you. It's a good thing. But it's tough. It's tough. Sometimes I'll ask Zach, my son, well, how's work going? And he loves his work, and he's doing well, and, and he's prospering, but it's work. It's, it's not a game. I'm not down there to play all day. I mean, he gets it. That it's work. It's tough. It, there, there's so much of adversarial relationships in work. Go open a business and see if you've learned something about competition. I had a friend who made it big for a while as a college football coach. He was an SEC head football coach. We were out playing golf one day. I was beating him. He didn't like it. He said, I compete every day. I was running a small business. I was competing against Walmart. Stack that one up, big guy. I guarantee you Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia, whoever you're thinking about, ain't near as competitive as the folks in Bentonville, Arkansas, if you're a small-town, small-town retailer. I guarantee you. Life is competitive is what I'm getting at. It's hard. It's tough. Okay. So we're stewards of this creation. It's a good thing, but it's a tough thing. And we were designed, look at chapter 2, verse 16. It's all yours. You may eat anything you want to, but here's one limitation. Here's a tree. Don't eat it. We were designed to keep covenant. We were designed to keep covenant. Now, what does the fall do? It makes us covenant breakers. But we were designed to live in obedience. 
We were designed to live fulfilling the obligations that God has ordained for us. And so, we were designed, designated to, to live in obedience and to live with a complementary partner. Verse, verse 18 of, of chapter 2. It's not good to be alone. It's not good. God says it's just not a good situation. Now, it's not sinful to be single. Paul gets into that in 1 Corinthians 7. In fact, he says it can be a very, very good thing if that's what God's will is. But it's a good thing to, to be married. And, and, and again, kind of the norm is for men and women to form families and, and to be married. And so God designs someone that's very much like him but a little bit different from him to complement and to complete but not to compete. To stand in contrast with one another but not conflict with one another. Now, I know none of us that are married have ever been in conflict with our marital partner. I'm thankful the church is made up of such spirit-filled people. It's a fallen world. God designed that we live in comp to complement one another. But what do we often get? Conflict. Competition, even, between husband and wife. I've seen so many parents... When one disciplines, oh, come here, baby, here, here's your candy, here's your toy, here's your, what are they doing? They're competing for the affections of the child. Yeah, it's a disaster. Anyway, okay. That's almost as bad as going through two drive throughs okay? Y'all know what I've said about that. So don't, don't be going through two drive throughs with your kids. To live in obedience, to live with a complimentary pottery, partner and the man is designed to lead the home man just and again what is inferred in the text is man created first okay and man names the woman what does that mean when you name someone it establishes a pattern of authority okay so the man was designed for authority within the home it's restated the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church so, men, if you're married, and again, how many times have I told you? Sometimes you wonder why our church is too small or so small. When men tell you, no, I'm not the spiritual leader of this home. My wife is or my 12-year-old son is. And you tell them in a very spiritual, godly way, you're an idiot. I don't know how, why that hurts the growth of our church so much. I, I can't figure it out. Now, that hadn't quite, Now I have had people tell me, the spiritual leader of my home is my 12-year-old and my wife. Well, first of all, no. Men, you are. Tell you what, I'll type you up a letter out there. It says, I, whatever your name is, I hereby resign and, and relinquish every one, every bit of my authority as my spiritual leader. I don't want it, I don't need it, I don't like it. And you can sign it off, we'll get it notarized. Let me tell you what, you're still the spiritual leader of your home. That has been designated by God. And you will lead it one way or another. If you remain silent, it will not drift toward righteousness. I will, I will promise you that. If you do not intentionally steer the ship of your home, it will run into a sandbar, okay, of sin. So, 
You're designed to lead the home. All right, let's look at the third thing very quickly because I've got, got kind of some final points I want to make. That which is by decree, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's that old King James, cleave. They shall become one flesh. So they're going to be joined together in a bond that is not designed to be broken. Okay? All right? In a, in a unique relationship, the only human relationship that's defined as one flesh, husband and wife, is a unique thing. And so husbands are to lead that wife. They are to, when they're looking at all the relationships in their life, okay, and one of the problems we have with this generation coming up is that they have been raised by helicopter parents, and they've been worshipped since the moment they hit the ground, okay? Yes, darling, whatever you want, I'll give you anything and everything. I'll, I'll max out 17 credit cards so you can do this or have that, okay? So you can drive a better car than I've ever owned. All of this stuff, and so they believe, here I am, and here's everything else, okay? It's all revolving around me, okay? And, and so then they decide to get married, and whether it's the husband or the wife, whatever the two partners are, guess what? They find out this ain't right. You know? Yeah. They find out, oh, you... I thought all I had to do was throw my dirty clothes on the floor. I, I thought all I had to do was dinner would be on the table when I walked on, and, and it would be, how do, you, how do you want your potatoes fried, darling? And so mama's boys stay mama's boys, and daddy's girls stay daddy's girl, and, and they don't cleave. They, they don't go, listen, we're, we're establishing a new family unit here. Okay, this is, a, this is a new entity. I love you. I will, I'm under obligation to honor you all of my life. Okay? But one of the ways that I will honor you is by following God's pattern to leave and to cleave, to, to create this new unit that is related but independent. And I, I think, I hope, I pray that if you were to ask my adult children that one of the big things that I do is I respect the boundaries. They are not under my authority anymore. Okay? Now, are we related? Yes. Should they honor me? Yes. Do they love me? I think so most of the time. You better check with them on, on that. But, but yeah, they do. But the man is designed to leave behind, to, re to establish and to reorder his relationship. So, leave, cleave, live as one flesh, and here's, grow, and here's the deal. Because of the fall, all of this is tough. It's just tough. Life is tough. Okay? But you're to grow as a follower of Christ. That's why before Paul talks, talks about all this great stuff about marriage, be filled with the Spirit. Because you ain't going to make it no other way. You can't do it on your own. If you're not a faithful, growing, maturing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot lead your home. Oh, you may be the boss. You may be the boss, but you'll be a jerk boss. Or you may be really tender and loving and caring, but you'll be so passive that the wife is forced to do what she's not designed to do. And so, 
Be filled with the Spirit. Grow as a follower of Christ and treasure the wife. Peter speaks of it this way. Live with her in an understanding way. Show her honor as a weaker vessel. Value her. Place value. Let her know. And here's the thing. In treasuring the wife, you're going to structure the home to portray the gospel. Let's say the biggest thing I've learned in the last 10 years is how husband and wife portray Christ and his love for the church. And if you want to have screwed up kids, then fail for the home to function as it is designed and ordained to function, and your children will get a perverse view of Christ and his love for the church. That's heavy. But Brian, maybe you were right. That's heavy. So, love your wife. Again, and again, growing up in the church and hearing these wives submit sermons and all that and the husband's elbow and all that. Now, who has the greater responsibility? Husbands loving as Christ loved the church. Now, what did Christ do for the church? He died for us. Or is it easier just to submit? Particularly if that husband is a spirit-filled, Christ-honoring husband who is treasuring his wife. Showing that he thinks she's valuable. That she is a gift from God. That she is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That God gave her to me just as God gave Eve to Adam. He gave her to me. I'm a steward of a treasure. So, treasure the wife. Structure the home to portray the gospel. And then make disciples. You know, one of the terms we hear is mom and pop business or cottage industry. The mom-and-pop business, the cottage industry of the home is to make disciples. If you don't make disciples, you fail. Now, again, even if it's just the husband and wife, the husband is to disciple the wife. Okay? They're to grow together. Okay? They're to grow together. And so husbands are to lead. They're going to determine, are our priorities going to be the ball field and the lake and the beach, and six flags, and whatever it is that people find to do, or is our priority to produce disciples? The husband's going to set the tone there. Okay? So, that which is by decree, leave, cleave, live as one flesh, grow as a follower of Christ, treasure the wife, structure the home, portray the gospel, make disciples in the home. That's pretty easy. Okay? No big deal. Now, let me, let me just say a quick final word. I got three minutes according to those 12-inch red letters back there. I love it. Many of you came to my dad's funeral, 2008, February 2008. The first thing I said about him when I preached his funeral, my dad was tough. He was tough on my brother and I. It's true. It's true. How many times have I said that word today? Life is tough. Dads, you need to communicate to your children, life is tough. You better make them tough to live in a fallen world. doesn't mean they can't be tender. It doesn't mean they can't be loving. But it's difficult. It is difficult to keep a job. It is difficult to make a living. It's difficult to, to 
honor one another as a husband and a wife. It's, it's difficult to nurture children in the Lord. When, when the world says let them do whatever it is they want to do, it's tough. You, you must communicate a tough. My dad was tough. He did not give in to my whining when it's 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. He'd come in there and flip the light on in my bedroom and say, we're going to go fix fences. You're going to haul trash off the job. You're going to mix mortar for me or whatever it was. Didn't matter. Now, I don't, my dad was not an ogre. I, don't, look, I was thinking of a story today. I'm not going to even get through this list. Tough is probably maybe enough. I was about five years old. You know, I told you I grew up on 40 acres. We had horses, cows, ponds, pine trees. Anything a kid could want. Man, I had knives and hatchets when I. How many would give your eight-year-old a knife and a hatchet? I had a 410 shotgun at nine years old. I mean, you know, uh, whatever. And man, I cut down so many trees and you know built so many forts and dams and everything else. My dad had a friend that was a painter named Hall Tyler, godly man, not not the normal painter. Okay, godly, man, wonderful man. His daughter had two sons. One of them was a year older than me. One of them was two years older. Their dad abandoned this man's daughter, uh, was a drinker and carouser. And so Hall be- kind of became the dad figure in their lives. And, and I mean, the mom was still there and, and raised them, but, but Hall really took care of those two grandsons. And so my dad and Hall and the three of boys were fishing on our, at our pond one day. And I, I'm sure we fished a whole 30 minutes and got bored with it. And so we go exploring. Now, you know, how many five-year-olds do you even let out of your sight? But we go over the little ridge, about 150, 200 yards down, the, down in the pasture where there's a creek. And, I mean, what kid doesn't love a creek? I mean, my grandson loves, all of them, love the creek, man. Telling you. And, I mean, I've, I dammed that thing up so many times, I don't, you know. So we go down there, and, and, and we're going, and they know, and, and Hall says, boys, don't get wet. Yeah, right. And, you know, we mess around and don't get wet for a while, but pretty soon, I mean, we're jumping in and, you know, the whole nine yards as boys will be. I mean, once you dam up, dam up a little place and the water's backing up, what do you got to do? You got to jump in it. Well, a little while later, here comes, I don't know if we go back to the pond or they come looking for us. And, I distinct, oh, Hall just got all over those boys. He may have spanked them, I don't know. I mean, he reamed them. Daddy just laughed. Boys will be boys. He was tough. He was tough. But he had a side, a very fun-loving side, and you got to find the balance. You got to find the balance. So, again, encourage the father of your children to be tough. And then to, to, to be competitive, that kind of ties in with it. To be a communicator. What's the problem in the home? Husbands come home and say, I've been talking all day. I ain't got a word to say. I'm going to sit here and watch TV and read newspaper. Fall asleep. Talk to your wives. Be a, interesting. This book I'm reading by Michael Collins right now, uh, gosh, I can't even remember the name. Carrying the Fire. The Apollo program named after the Greek god who carried the fire across the sky, Apollo. So carrying the fire about about the Apollo mission, and he taught he, you know these guys. There was something on Facebook the other day. Tim Allen did this ream. Yeah, you know, can you imagine if you're Neil Armstrong 
first man on the moon, that the, the second most exciting thing in your life is ejecting out of your fighter jet over Korea in the middle of the night. I mean, that is a pretty exciting life, you know. These guys, they were brilliant, and they were something else, these astronauts. But he talked about how important it is, yes, to know your science and your math, but know your English and be able to communicate, be able to, he said, how many of these engineers come in with these slide rules? They don't have the ability to say, be able to communicate to the one you love how much you value her, how much you love her, how wonderful she is, how she adds to your life, how she completes your life. Learn how to talk that language. Be a communicator, men. Be compassionate. She's living in a fallen world too, and particularly if she's working outside the job. She's probably working for at least one jerk or working with one jerk. Yeah. Be compassionate. Be a man of conviction. Just don't shilly-shally all over the place. Be a confident man. Be a considerate man. Be a decisive man. Decide what the priorities of the home are. Be a disciple, be a leader. Be a physical man. Be physical with your children. Be physical with your wife. And be physical enough to do things that men should be doing. I was telling somebody uh, this morning about, uh, you know, taking your kid to to play golf and to, to, to... hunt with him and fish with him and skip rocks with him and climb trees, whatever. So I'm going to get to do that with my grandkids now, but every time I mess with them, I wind up with a Band-Aid somewhere or, you know, 60 years of hard living. Bryce was just a little bit too tough, Joey. You know, all these joints are worn out. But, yeah. Nurture in that. Cultivate that in yourself. Wives, you want to see the list? Encourage that in the father of your children, in your husband, to be this kind of man. To fulfill God's purpose, God's design for human flourishing. Which, let me just say it this way. It's okay to be happy. It's okay in a fallen world to have some degree of happiness. But it will only come. And it will only be, will only develop into transcendent eternal joy. Doing it according to God's plan. No other plan will work. There is not a plan B. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your goodness, for your wisdom and your design, your purpose and your plan. I pray, God, that through the power of your gospel, that we would be empowered to live according to that plan. Whether whether a male image bearer and a father and a husband or a single man or a young person or a female image bearer and a wife or a mother or a, a single lady or a young person, Lord, I pray that we would pursue to do things the way you have ordained and designed because it's for our good and for your glory. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.